the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. As we hit Hour 3 this Tuesday, January 12th, it's a delight, as per usual, to bring in Hugh and Lewis Hallman. Lewis Hallman is the Managing Director of Insight Analytics. InsightAnalyticsLLC.com is his website. Hugh Hallman is, of course, former mayor of Tempe, an attorney in town and an educator. And we're going to talk. We're going to start. Actually, we're going to get into some politics of the day, too, national, in a few moments. We're going to build up to that. But first, we want to start with what uh, their branding has been uh, in walking us through uh, the COVID statistics uh, in Arizona, but also merge it into this, I guess, burgeoning debate about the state of education and COVID in Arizona as well. Hugh, do you want to kick us off or Lewis, either one? Sure. Well, I'll start because now we've been branded as the boring, the boring boys uh, COVID calculus. Uh, but here we are. Uh, and in fact, I am going to turn it over to Lewis because he's the one who cranked the numbers yet again today and came up with some interesting insights. Uh, but we're not going to go such deep dive. So anybody who wants to tune out because we get boring, please don't because we're going to go big. So the long and short of it today is that the sort of winter spike that we have been seeing is continuing apace. Uh, we're seeing slightly more hospital beds used by COVID patients, although since Banner did uh, uh kick out all of its uh, elective surgery uh, uh, patients and clear all of that capacity since January 1st. Uh, the total number of beds empty has actually increased slightly as well. So as we're one would more expect. capacity there, as one would expect. Uh, that's right. Uh, otherwise, uh, for about the past month, AZDHS has attributed uh, or, or reported about 3,000 deaths or so. Um, but only 2,000 of those have actually occurred within the past 30 days. The rest are, are just holdovers from prior periods. So in other words, a third of the deaths reported that the newspapers uh, tout as uh, more crises and uh, records were uh, deaths that occurred prior to December 15th, more than a month ago, yep. and and over the period of time from that. The, the, the hospital stats, because they continue to ignore the surge bed capacity, that is the additional capacity, and the governor deserves some credit and he doesn't get it. When this uh, first started, the pandemic first started, he worked with the hospitals immediately to have them start developing the additional capacity. And in fact, his uh, executive orders uh, sought and uh, sought out uh, 25% additional excess capacity in hospitals. That's not actually even included in our numbers. But if you then still look at what uh, the available empty beds are for hospital beds, it's a, not quite 30% are still empty including the surge beds. And for the ICU beds, it's about the same. It's about 31.2% of ICU beds available capacity are still empty. So this isn't California. It is still a staffing issue that uh, we are fortunate in Arizona that uh, the roving nurses and doctors who like to move around the country, and that really is a job and it's a, it's a lifestyle, uh, love to come to the Southwest during the winter because then they don't have to shovel snow and instead can enjoy golf uh, in their off hours. And so the Arizona is at least benefiting from that. 
Absolutely right. And so one of the other things that this is, is sort of becoming more and more readily apparent this winter, particularly as we sit right next to California, as they undergo very, very similar um, sort of series of events, they're having the exact same kind of spiking uh, uh, circumstances that we are. They're, they're seeing increased capacity in their hospitals. They're seeing more deaths. They're seeing more cases. They're just seeing more transmission generally this winter. Um, but they've gotten here on the back of some of the most restrictive lockdowns in the entire country. Whereas we in Arizona really have not been at least too uh, Orwellian or, or, or too uh, uh, ham-fisted in our, our approach uh, really at all. We had a very brief lockdown in fall and then some restrictions on... on in, in spring. Excuse in me, spring yes, in summer. spring. And in fact, uh, the governor, we beat up on the governor a little bit for his, in our view, still overreaching on the lockdowns, shutting down health clubs and a few other things. He since opened them and is getting massive pressure, particularly from the left. Why not? Uh, this is from his uh, State of the State speech just yesterday. Quote, why not more and longer lockdowns? Why not more aggressive lockdowns? Schools, businesses, parks, weddings, funerals, churches, services. Why not ban all gatherings and just lock everything down? And he answers it really, really well. And that is that it's a question that it's a question that only makes sense if you forget about everything else that people still have to pay bills, children need to be in school, businesses need to run, and employees depend on them. A lot of men and women who don't have the option of remote work and don't receive uninterrupted direct deposits need to go to work. And I thought that was really beautifully said, and the governor, I think, needs to get some credit for that uh, because he is being excoriated by the newspapers, the uh, the video media, and especially by uh, the teachers' union. Mm-hmm for refusing to lock everything down yet again. And in this instance, I think uh, we'd like to talk uh, more fully in a few minutes about the impact that educators are having on this debate and why that's going on. Um, The governor properly made the point that you, Seth, have probably most articulately made, maybe he stole it, uh, the the specific wording from you, uh, that what we forget to think about are the issues beyond the disease itself. Quote, opioid abuse, alcoholism, addiction, mental health issues, the sheer loneliness of isolation and suicide. I mean, the governor is finally articulating clearly why he has taken a different course in this second phase and properly points out in his speech that while Arizona has taken a moderate course, those states like California that have taken a very severe, aggressive course, locked down, destroyed their own economies, are suffering just the same. Yeah, why isn't that a good answer in and of itself? We can be California. We don't want to be California. Their numbers are going up and they're having a serious lockdown. Our numbers are staying relatively, you know, as expected and stable without it. I guess it kind of goes a little bit to what Johanna Allhands wrote in the Arizona Republic today, right? Our newspaper of record, Johanna Allhands, who's a really a lovely human being, yeah. wrote an editorial that I think we both would recommend to people, and that is her uh, flagellation uh, about self-flagellation about the fact that, notwithstanding observing the lockdown and doing all the uh, in kinds extreme, of things, pretty in, much in yeah. extreme, she said she hasn't gone out since March. Correct, and that they had not eaten any out anywhere, that they'd stayed at home, that they did have their mother-in-law come visit, but they'd meet outside and, and in the yard. And socially distanced with and she uh, expresses the fact that notwithstanding all of those things, she, her husband and her child had COVID-19. Their whole household got it. They were exquisitely careful, did everything, didn't even go out, unlike, you know, most people, I suppose. 
And she says she still doesn't know where she got it from. And that's not unusual. Uh, and I suppose now is the moment for admission uh, that, in fact, when I was absent for a couple of weeks from the show, it was because, yes, dot, 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 I had contracted COVID-19 at the end of October and immediately went to hide in the back bedroom to protect my spouse and others from my transmitting it to them. Successfully, I might add, everybody, including the two of you in this booth, who were exposed to me the very same time that I had gotten uh, exposed and ultimately uh, had the disease, um, nobody that I came in contact with in that short period of time actually uh, ended up with the disease, and we had everybody tested repeatedly. We did not want to tell that to anybody because the goal was not to uh, beat folks about the head and shoulders from my personal experience because we all experience it differently. But it is to say that uh, I did not get it from any of the likely activities folks would have thought of. I, ha- I have a very unusual law practice and and do unusual things. Uh, I had to travel, for example, to San Francisco early on in the early on in the in the pandemic uh, to assist a, a gentleman who was being taken by a contractor who wanted forty eight hundred dollars to replace a water heater. Uh, so I traveled up there to assist this gentleman. And uh, tr- so I went all the way to California, uh, came back home. I have had to go to other places, including Kazakhstan. Where did I get COVID-19? Sitting in my office in Arizona. And so one can lead a life, make choices, and that's what I guess my soapbox is, that one has to make uh, sensible choices, understand risk, take steps to moderate that risk, but we are all still adults and are in the best position to make the decision whether or not a risk should be taken. And if, of course, when, when, you, uh, when you told me that you had uh, tested positive for it, that's when, of course, because of uh, obvious policy, I, I, I too went into quarantine uh, and tested negative throughout. Never, never once had it. I think I as took, did Lou. As did Lou. As did I. It was a joy. Yeah, we took four, four tests and uh, clean all the way through. Thank goodness. But when you when you when you had it, Hugh, just uh, for the for the edification of those who haven't. um, And as you said, with the cautionary note, of course, that it will affect everyone differently. um, What were your symptoms like? I had a mild headache uh, for about two and a half days. I suffered during the same period of uh, body aches and had a fever that ran about um, uh, 99 degrees. I did check to see if I'd lost my sense of smell, went out and grabbed a big pile of chlorine tabs, couldn't smell them. And my wife would tell you that I've never had good taste. So uh, the <laughs> fact that I've lost some of my uh, sense of taste. Have you had worse flus? Uh, I have much worse flus. Yeah, yeah I would have. Uh, but for the pandemic, this is not something that would ever have kept me home. And you wouldn't have even remembered it. I wouldn't have remembered it. Interesting. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Hugh Hallman, Lewis Hallman. We'll be right back. I want to transit to the issue of education in Arizona when we come back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Delighted to have Hugh and Lewis Hallman uh, with us. We are going to talk just a, in a moment about the education scenario uh, situation here. Lewis, real quick, a question came in. How's Arizona doing uh, on vaccine availability and whether we're getting our fair share and getting it out and that uh, sort of thing? Thus far, very well. Uh, so we started in December vaccinating the uh, the elderly and since then have recently this week. And, and doctors. First and doctors as well. Right. Uh, this week, we've just rolled it out as well to uh, police officers and nurses. And we should buy. And, excuse me. Yes. Teachers and, and uh, nurses. And then by the end of Q1, we should be rolling it out to the general public. So thus far, we are on, on track. track. 
and 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 the only report I've gotten from the field, and I did go check out a couple of sites. Um, the report I got back was that there was one operation, uh, one one hospital operation that seemed to be quite clumsy about it. Want to hazard a guess? <laughs> it was a banner day. Anyway, uh, the uh, they seem to have had the hardest time rolling it out, which would then be consistent with their complaints about their ability to deliver medical services, I guess. Speaking uh, of teachers, though. Yeah, speaking of teachers, though, in this instance, I think the governor, again, deserves some respect. He's been lit up for the last day and a half uh, for having uh, suggested or – having people read his comments to say that somehow he's going to punish schools uh, that uh, are uh, teaching by wire, meaning at, at distance and other kinds of distance learning options. And in fact, that's not what he said, nor uh, obviously what was meant by his speech, but folks wanted to be angry, I suppose. He did note um, that it is a, quote, small mercy of this pandemic that the virus is least likely to harm our children. Even Joanna Allhands noted that in the article, that her son was the least likely to be harmed by it and, in fact, the least likely to get it and spread it. And that's something we've noted on this show regularly. They're about 17 hundredths of a percent of su- su- succumbed fatality. Yeah, and the, the, yeah. the data is clear that uh, it, not only are they not at risk, the under-20s, even from the data we continue to monitor for you, you've got under-20s, uh, the hospital hospitalization rate of, uh, is 1.4%, and the uh, mortality rate of the actual deaths is uh, not even registered uh, for Maricopa County because the total number is uh, now negative two during the last, uh, from July 28th. Uh, Let me make a quick note about that, actually. The the issue there is that Maricopa County has actually stopped reporting the numbers of people that die. They just list them as a percentage by demographic category now. So I... And, and and the problem being is that you can't actually calculate it when the percentage given is zero. Uh, it's, it's a very <laughs> tough thing to do. It really is. Yeah. And so in this instance, uh, we know that children should be in school. But even the governor properly noted that then the challenge is teachers. And I quote, um, of course, they're... Their teachers, that is the students' teachers, are a different matter. And that's why we're making sure that teachers receive the vaccine as quickly as possible. And in fact, end quote, uh, in fact, the state is now rolling it out to teachers and police officers next. Uh, and the goal being uh, that we can help teachers get back into the classroom sooner. Well, apparently that wasn't uh, accepted as something that was an important um, uh, move to make as a po- political matter. But he did note, and I quote, Across our state, students have been kept out of their classrooms for long enough. They've lost out on childhood experiences that can't be duplicated on a computer screen. In strange, difficult circumstances, parents and teachers have done their resourceful best. But it's time to get our students back where they belong, with every public health professional from Dr. Fauci to the CDC on down saying that the safest place for kids is to be in school. We will not be funding empty seats or allowing schools to remain in a perpetual state of closure. And it's that last part of that statement that the teachers union lit up the governor and everybody came off the wall complaining that somehow the governor is asking teachers to sacrifice their lives in order to teach. So here we've got uh, a new generation. The greatest generation ran into machine gun nests with hot lead coming at them. And now we've got a generation of people who don't want to run into a classroom for fear that there might be some magic virus floating about that could cause them to be ill. Uh, that's quite a change in generational politics. And in this instance, the governor is first pointing out that teachers are next in line. So if you're a teacher, go schedule yourself to get your vaccination and stop saying that you can't be into the classroom because in two weeks you could be. 
And that would then help our children. And the more important point I think we need to think about is that we had the teachers in this state diligently work to collect signatures twice to get a tax increase on the ballot. We had teachers strike effectively and come down 50,000 of them to the Capitol to protest the low teacher pay. And all of that built political capital that ultimately led to the governor giving a 20% per year raise and ultimately to the passage of what is now known as Prop 208, the 3.5% increase in uh, income taxation on folks of $250,000 or more in income. So here you have it. And my sadness is both of my parents were teachers, Lewis's grandparents. In fact, all four of Lewis's grandparents were teachers in high school and grade school classrooms. And yet this group of teachers who are now raising so much stink about getting back into the classroom have burnt up all of that political capital. Because what we now have is parents who have discovered new solutions to education for their children. They will be demanding them, and it will reduce yet again the number of students whose butts are in classroom seats that union teachers get to teach. And as that continues to happen and that uh, that competition for students increases, teachers are going to find that it's increasingly difficult to get more money for the jobs they're now not doing. And that's my sadness, that we have lost massive political capital in trying to enhance education. We've thrown money at it, pretending that that's the difference that makes an improved education. It is not. Uh, passionate teachers who you get into the classroom to teach are what makes the difference. And now we've seen so much of that political capital blown up that I think we're going to have a permanent shift downward into what we can attract into the classroom, having teachers teach there, and the amount of money that this state and its uh, people are going to be willing to invest in that. Hugh, um, you know, I, I thought that after the protests that we saw and the walkouts and for all intents and purposes strikes that were, what, about two years ago, maybe three years ago now, I thought they would have blown a lot of credibility then. Uh, it seems that they have become a class of profession that um, doesn't seem to ever lose their ability to hamstring the operations of this government. And I, I, but, but parents this time were affected in a way they weren't before. And I think a lot of them learned what a lot of homeschooling and other charter parents had learned, which is maybe, maybe, maybe choice is, is, is a new way to go here because we don't need to be held hostage by these, by these capricious decisions of teachers anymore. I think that's exactly what's going to happen. And in fact, I kept getting news articles from various uh, school choice advocates around the state demonstrating that the uh, traditional schools were closing and the uh, alternative school options were remaining open and coming up with solutions to allow students to continue to be taught. Yes, teachers need to be protected, particularly those that suffer from comorbidities, but you can teach by wire into the classroom and the kids could still be in the classroom. Uh, there are lots of ways to handle these solutions, and unfortunately, we haven't investigated many of them. Nicely said. We'll be right back. You'll be running the show when we come right back. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Not quite the music we'd like to rejoin the show in, because I'm Hugh Hallman, I'm joined by Lewis Hallman, and we have now taken over the studio. In the uh, appropriate modern times, uh, violence apparently begets violence, and here we are. Seth has been tied up, he's now gagged, sitting in the corner, fighting his way to get out. But Seth, what do you think? 
No, sorry, Seth. You're just going to have to wait. Lewis and I have taken over the show, and we have re rebranded it. Instead of the boring boys uh, COVID calculus, we're back to the Holman Autonomous Zone. And the reason we wanted to have a special conversation with you, the listener, is that we wanted to talk about the important change in the view of the world. And I quote from The New Yorker. Quote, a riot is the language of the unheard, unquote. That's, of course, Martin Luther King Jr. uh, stated in 1966. But the New Yorker goes on to say that that language is now being heard across the United States with an uprising that began in Minneapolis and has spread to dozens of cities. That is the New Yorker tweet on May 31st, 2020. Is that incitement? What do you think, Lou? Hard to say. It could go either way, frankly. Either way, how about uh, Alexandria Acacia Cortez, or just as they've been referring to her now, AOC? She had uh, had her brilliant uh, insight into what, uh, why there was a crime spike in New York. Sure, uh, at the time, New York had been seeing a three hundred percent year-over-year spike in its murder rate, and in her infinite wisdom, uh, it was assessed by by AOC that that the, the clear cause of this was in fact. Hungry parents shoplifting food for their families. It wasn't that, you know, violence was out of control or that robberies were out of control or that all of these these sorts of violent crimes were spiking in New York City. No, 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 no. It's all pandemic problems caused by these dirty, evil Republicans. So uh, in the last hour, Seth played a piece of uh, audio tape that I think is powerful to make the bigger point we're talking about. And so our good friend Bill is going to cue that up for us. Uh, I think you'll recognize some of these voices. I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country. Maybe there will be. People need to start taking to the streets. This is a dictator. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there's unrest in our lives. Enemies of the state. Show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. Do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless. When they go low, we kick How do you resist the temptation to run up and wring her neck? Biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. I thought he should have punched him in the face. I said, even if you lost, he insulted your wife. Yes. He came down the escalator and called Mexicans. You get the point. Here we have folks from the left who, during the worst of the protests, nay, riots that occurred in this country, inciting others to continue to do so and excusing them. We even had, uh, as part of our experience, the fact that uh, there were many public health officials, and that's in quotation marks because they called themselves public health officials. It was secretaries to public health officials in many instances. 1,400 people signed a letter saying that COVID-19 is much less a concern for health than the purpose of the protests that were taking place over the summer. I had the experience of having to clear my office out. Uh, I have an office in Scottsdale, Arizona, among other places. Had to remove all of the valuables because the next door property, Scottsdale Fashion Square, had been uh, attacked in a prior week. And the Scottsdale police were concerned that that was going to happen again. uh, And we needed to remove belongings so that uh, if there was damage, it would not cause uh, additional damage. Lewis, your experience. So... In, in looking at this, you know, it's it's hard not to kind of just shake my head in sheer amazement, you know, at the coverage um, of of last week, um, because on one so- on some level it's earned, right? That that 
neither of us are very pleased with or disagree. I think that the tactics were wrong. I think that the 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 approach was wrong. Oh, and let's that, be real clear. Both conf- of us find what happened at the Capitol to be unconscionable and inexcusable. I do, however, also think that insurrection is a lovely form of Russell conjugation for protest. When the left uh, uh, riots, it's protesting, and when the right riots, it's insurrection. This is absurd. And we are now suffering from the double standard that has often been uh, meted out to folks on the right. And the reality is, folks, we are going to have to continue to live with it. We will be back in just a bit to chat about this a little bit more. I'm Hugh Holman. He's Lewis Holman. And we are delighted to be filling in on the Seth Liebson show. What do you think, Seth? I'd like to punch him in the face. I said if we were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. Punch some people in the face! When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? They're still going to have to go out and put a bullet in Donald Trump, and that's a fact. Look as his character is stabbed to death. Where is John Wilkes Booth when you need him? Where is John Wilkes Booth when you need him? You heard among those many voices the president-elect of the United States talking about punching somebody in the face out back at the school. Who would he have been talking about? That's right. He was talking about the uh, current president of the United States. That is the kind of violence that the left was calling for for much of the summer and fall. And now that, uh, my, in my view, people who do not represent my values, who do not represent my Republican Party, who are not on the Speaker's Bureau for the Republican Party, uh, did horrible things at the Capitol. And I'm not here to make excuses for them. Is it understandable? Perhaps. But that's not why I'm sitting here. I find it inexcusable. And we on the right have got to call that kind of behavior out. Let the left apologize uh, for uh, those kinds of activities and even join in them. But that's not what I was raised to understand. It's certainly not what uh, the uh, genius of Abraham Lincoln was referring to. In fact, it was after the Civil War, and not actually, it was not quite after the Civil War. We had the President of the United States calling out in the most important phrases he could as his second inaugural address, quote, with malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us the uh, gives us the light to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in. That is somebody who just guided these United States through the most horrific war one could imagine, with 600,000 Americans perishing in a civil war. And that was the the hope and that was the spirit he brought to the opportunity. And yet we still have to face that we have a double standard. That's exactly right. You know, it, it and it's gone beyond the level of the individual now. Uh, it's even affecting whole companies. Parler today or early this week, rather, has just had its, many of its services suspended for the purported sin of being the hub in which much of the planning and and movement towards the Capitol was organized, which is very interesting because I don't see Twitter or Facebook removing themselves when all of the rioting went on this summer. I don't think we just don't see the same kind of of reciprocity. And so now this leaves us in in almost a very uneven state trying to figure out where we go from here. How do we 
how do we exist as a party of principle? How do we move, move forward in a way that we can be proud of and yet, you know, still then in doing so not continually have our advantage eroded beneath it as as we uh, uh, struggle against someone not willing to play on equal terms. Well, in this instance, now you've got the big tech companies clearly making a decision to side with one side or another, and there there has been horrific stuff put out in social media. It certainly occurred all during the summer. I quoted uh, New Yorker. You hear uh, AOC saying lots of kinds of things of, uh, on Twitter and other places, and now we have a response only to what's occurred on the right, the president having been taken down from Twitter and a variety of other things. Um, here is, I think, the conundrum, Lewis. It is the case that the freedom of speech that is called out in the First Amendment is talking about precluding government from interfering with free speech. Now we have private agencies making the decision on whom to allow on their platforms and I ask, then what's the answer? Alternates, presumably. So alternates in the market, and here's the biggest challenge that I would suggest. They that the can folks kill their own alternates is the issue. As long as the platforms are now monopolized, and that's where we're going to come to. Now you have monopolies that have been established by very large agencies that have decided which side they're on. If I can cut in, actually, why why would a large firm like Facebook, like Google, or, or, or any of these, why would they actually look for government regulation? It's actually kind of interesting. You wouldn't think, most of us, you know, that you would actually seek out more onerous restrictions on and oneself. they do. And why is that? It's because regulation serves to create artificial monopolies. It is a barrier to entry to smaller firms without the resources to hire many, many lawyers and figure out all of the ways in which they need to be compliant with the regulations. Large established firms can bear the cost. But I can't be the new Facebook and outcompete Facebook and also do that in such a way that is compliant with all of the other restrictions that the federal government poses, uh, uh, poses effectively for Facebook's own protection. And so here is the challenge for the right. Start pulling all those campaign finance reports and taking a look at the candidates to uh, whom the large tech companies donated the most money. And you will find that it went to the left now so that the left would be friends with big tech, protect them by providing monopolization protection and regulatory structures that are impossible to overcome if you're a small competing firm. And now that has been used to disadvantage the competitors to the Democratic Party. Isn't that interesting that the very monopolists that have been created by the regulators are now assisting the very regulators who helped them to block out those regulators' competitors? The Democrats are now freezing out Republicans from the created market of big tech. Thoughts? How do you go there, Lou? Well, I mean, what? how do we possibly go from that? Um, it's... It really is a brave new world in, 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 in some sense because there isn't a way unless we can get around the actual technical infrastructure throttling that these competitors can then place for you to actually out-compete them or get out, get out around behind it. So the challenge for the new world is can folks on the right learn the lesson from what we have now created 
massive organizations that are controlling the feed of information. Ah, for the days when you got a paper delivered to your doorstep. And can our virtue ethics then attract our principled opposition to us? We'll find out. I'm Hugh Holman. He's Lewis Holman. Seth's over there in the corner. Seth, what do you think? <laughs> I don't care how loud he yells. He's not getting out. Welcome back to Seth Liebson's show. Seth, what do you think? Yeah, there we go. Uh, we'll let him out here shortly. Lewis and I just had a few concluding thoughts. Lewis, why don't you start? Sure. So I am kind of contemplating where it is we go from here as we sort of think kind of darkly about the sort of outrages and failures and the lack of reciprocity in media coverage that conservatives face. And and I have kind of one saving grace, one thing that I, I sort of see as the silver lining from all of this. Uh, and it is that while Democrats may control the House, the Senate, and the executive, that actually forces upon them a great and singular burden. It means that now they have to stop sitting on the sidelines and complaining and wailing and gnashing their teeth at, at symbolism and performance, and it means that they are actually obligated to govern. And so we can see if they can rise to this, because I have a deep and growing suspicion that they will be unable to, and that will be very revealing down the road. So looking forward to 2021 and the inauguration of a new president— I am looking forward to continuing the Arizona approach to many things. The new legislative session has just started. The governor has, I think, learned a great deal from the last 12 months and not uh, not to overreach and take power, uh, intending to use it and then facing the brunt of the responsibility of doing so. So I have to give him credit that, as he noted in his speech about COVID-19, quote, Look at the experience of other states that did lockdowns. What do they have to show for their strict mandates and orders? They still are dealing with the worst of it, just as we are. But together, Arizonans, we can improve on life, and we will, because this is a state that still celebrates individualism and liberty. And with that, let's all go forward for 21 and build on the best that we can be. Thanks for being with us.